Rush on CBS Sports Radio. Last week of the year, hanging out. My name is Trent Rush, in for Jim Rome, the legend today here on the Jim Rome Show, hanging out in Southern California where it's beautiful outside, a little bit overcast. Okay, sure, our weather's not perfect. Meanwhile, uh, Jim hanging out by a, a frozen lake in Wisconsin, hard to understand, but regardless, here we are, and we're uh, enjoying uh, a lot of big football news today. Wanted to get to this, and there's just been so much going on in the NFL, it's been hard to work in. But the reality is, is this has been a monumental, earth-shattering offseason in baseball because of one guy who has led to two guys, who's led to a third guy. And all of a sudden, you have the ultimate power shift where maybe the most marketable brand in at least maybe American sports maybe is becoming the Dodgers when you talk about global reach. And what now the Dodgers mean for Japan. And the fact that all of a sudden the Dodgers have spent $1.2 billion on Shohei Otani and Yoshinobu Yamamoto and Tyler Glass. Now, all of a sudden, it's not just about, okay, are the Dodgers the best team in baseball or not? I actually think that's a decent debate. I don't think it's clear cut. But what's not clear cut is the Dodgers are the Yankees. I mean, what we know and have always known in baseball, that the Yankees are king, they are not anymore. It is the Dodgers, especially globally, because for $1.2 billion, the Dodgers bought an entire country of fans. I mean, think about this. The average baseball team, the average team in MLB, is worth $2.3 billion. All right, That's according to Forbes, average team. Shohei, Yamamoto, Glasnow, $1.2 billion. So that's more than 50% of the average team's total value the Dodgers have spent this offseason. Now, there's nothing average about any of the names we just talked about there. But it's pretty fascinating. And and now here in this gift-giving season, I don't know how many people had a chance to go see uh, the gift that Shohei Otani made delivering a car to Joe Kelly's wife, Ashley. Not just any car, a Porsche Drops it off there, about $150,000 car. I don't know what it's cost. I'm not, I'm not in the Porsche market. But that's what Shohei decides to gift in return for the number 17. You back this up a little bit. It was Ashley Kelly who was willing to give up her husband's number essentially for free. She was. It was part of the, the begging Shohei to come campaign that the Dodgers were partaking in. Now, what's interesting is that, so while Joe Kelly was a free agent this offseason before he signed back with the Dodgers again, uh, he was on, it was his podcast, and he was asked about, you know, what would what would you need to get for a number? Would you just give up 17 to Shohei if you were on the same team? Because let's not forget, I mean, Joe Kelly has had some impactful moments with the Dodgers, and there's there's murals in L.A. of him with the, the 17 on his back. And he goes, no, nah, man, I'm not giving that up. Look how long he's been in the league, and look how long I've been in the league. I've been in twice as long as that guy. I'm not just going to give it up. Now, if he wants to uh, help me redo my house, then sure. Yeah, if he wants to help with the remodel we got going on, he wants to kick in a little cash, all right, then maybe we'll consider it. So Joe is driving a hard bargain, maybe in jest, maybe not. Knowing Joe Kelly, maybe not. But then you go and you see 
Mrs. Joe Kelly pretty much saying, yeah, we'll, we'll give you all kinds of – any of Joe's stuff with 17 on it, Shoei, you can have it, which is, I'm sure, exactly what Shoei would like to have in his garage in Newport Beach. I'm sure that's exactly what Shohei wants is all kinds of 17 Joe Kelly merch. In exchange, uh, Shoei takes the number 17. I don't know what kind of negotiating went on there. But out of nowhere, Shoei appears in Joe Kelly's house not to redo the bathroom, but to deliver a Porsche to Mrs. Joe Kelly, Ashley Kelly. So uh, kind of a fun story there. I mean, look, show, make Shoei look like the, the good guy um, hero here to come you know, save the day. He just got paid $700 million. He can afford $150,000 car uh, that he gets to go drop off. And he's making some friends, uh, not just with the team and the teammates, but making some friends with the wives as well. I mean, he is maybe sports' most eligible bachelor, Shoei Otani is. Um, but he's delivering, delivering a car uh, to Joe Kelly's wife. Anyway, she was excited about it. She was excited about it. But when it comes to baseball, like – I don't know that the Dodgers all of a sudden are the super team that they are perceived to be. I mean, Otani's not going to pitch next year. Glasnow is coming off a of Tommy John surgery. Yamamoto has not thrown a single pitch in the major leagues. Yeah, all of a sudden they are the super team. Everyone's talking about, it's not fair. It's not fair that the Dodgers are have all these players that can spend so much. Hey, life's not fair. That's how it goes. If a fan base wants to complain about the way Shohei's contract is set up to where they're going to defer, you know, 98% of the money until after Shohei's playing career, you know what? At some point, that check's going to be due. At some point, that bill's going to come to the table, and you're going to have to pay it off. You might not have to pay it right away. You can sit there and have another margarita with your chips and salsa and try to drag out the night. But at some point, you're going to have to pay that tab. And the Dodgers will do that in a decade. They, they get to, they, you know, they have a, a generous player that is willing to uh, just absorb it. And he's not sweating it, man. The guy's making over $50 million in, in endorsements. He's not worried about his salary at that point. So, yeah, he's going to get paid on the back end of that deal. And I think there's even a chance that the Dodgers could end up maybe never writing the check to Shohei. Like, what if at that point, what if in 10 years from now, Shohei retires and they say, you know what, instead of cutting you a check for, what, $680 million or whatever it is, we're just going to give you a part of the team. Maybe that ends up being the discussion, which could be worth billions by that point. Or maybe more, eventually, if he hangs on to it. But like on the field, okay, the Dodgers are better. Like, like Having Shohei Otani, the Dodgers are better. But I, I still have my doubts, i got to be honest. They got swept in the first round of the playoffs last year because they couldn't pitch. And you're relying on a lot of unknown on your staff. Walker Buehler's coming back. We, we know how talented he is. That guy's coming off of Tommy John. Who knows if Kershaw's coming back? And even if Kershaw does, I don't know that Clayton Kershaw is Clayton Kershaw anymore. Actually, I do know. I know he's not Clayton Kershaw anymore. So are you really going to bank on that because it worked so well in the playoffs this October when you got swept by Arizona? He won a third of an inning. Now, you can go even further than this on who you could add to that, and you bring on Tyler Glass now. You know, we, we don't know how Otani's going to play in October. He's never been in the playoffs. We don't know how Yamamoto's going to pitch. And Glass now has a, has a playoff ERA worse than Kershaw, 5.72. I 
I mean, he's two and four with an ERA close to six in October. How are you going to depend on that? We know the Dodgers can win in the regular season. That's not a question at all. We know the Dodgers at this point have the weight of being a true World Series or bust team. And we know that they are totally capable of getting it done in the regular season. They have won 100-plus games five of the last six years if you take away the COVID season. 100-plus wins five of six years. That's a dynasty that's being built there. And their only title, the only ring, came in the one year that nobody wants to count anyway. I mean, that's real pressure now. I mean, they're being held to this billion-dollar standard, and it doesn't matter. Now, the sports investment groups that are part of this, yeah, they want to win. Sure, it's nice because they can make more money if you win. But winning games is for players, coaches, fans. I I don't know that ownership is that worried about winning per se, especially when you are the kind of uh, bankroll the Dodgers have that it's just made up by a lot of investors. And those investors are giddy. I mean, the Dodgers could not possibly be more marketable than they are, even though they're going to have to pay that Otani bill eventually. But the, the Otani signing was so important for the Dodgers and for baseball for three reasons. One, we know that this guy, we, we know what he can do on the field. The last three years, Shohei Otani has put together maybe the three best seasons we've ever seen in the history of the game. We know what this guy does. Now, we know he's not going to pitch next year, but he's still an elite hitter in baseball. He's going to be an MVP candidate as a DH in the National League, which is a weird sentence to even say. It, it's true. We know what Otani brings off the field. We know what Otani means in reaching the Japanese fan base. We know what a TV deal is going to be, whereas you basically have the Dodgers as being the Japanese national team because the third reason why the Otani signing was so big is because he's a great recruiter. I mean, now you got Yamamoto in the mix as well, which is fascinating because the Mets offered the same as the Dodgers. The Yankees offered more money per year, an earlier opt-out, and more money in the first five years. And Yamamoto still took the Dodgers' offer. It's because Yoshinobu Yamamoto was going wherever Shohei Otani went. As much as Otani doesn't seem to be one of those guys that wants a lot of attention, he's this offseason he seems more open to it. But it sounds like Yamamoto is one of the guys that, that does like the attention. I think he, he does want the spotlight. He wanted to be in a major market. He wanted to be with a major powerhouse franchise. There is no powerhouse franchise stronger than the Dodgers right now, at least in terms of perception, at least in terms of uh, their chances to win this year. You can't buy championships. I mean, we just had a Diamondbacks Rangers World Series. You can't buy rings, even though the Rangers did spend a half billion on their infield. That looks like pennies compared to what the Dodgers have spent this winter. But with all of that going on, I'm still not sold that the Dodgers are this clear-cut, runaway favorite team. When you think about how good the Braves are, I mean, do these, do these additions make the Dodgers better than the Braves? I don't know. I don't think necessarily. I, I will say I think it's those two and then everybody else. But I'm not sold the Dodgers are clear-cut best team in baseball. And even if they were, like I said, in baseball, it almost doesn't even matter. It's what you do in October. And in October, you have an unproven Shohei who's never been there before. You have Yamamoto who's not thrown a pitch in Major League Baseball, period. And you have Glass now, who's 2-4 with a 5.72 ERA in the playoffs. 
worse than Kershaw, about a run worse than Kershaw. So when you have all of that going on, is that really going to sell you that all of a sudden the Dodgers are this behemoth of a franchise? Nobody could possibly take down Goliath. Now, there's going to be a David somewhere. And always in baseball, if it's one team versus the field, you take the field. Always. It's going to be fascinating. It's going to be fascinating because they also have to handle all the pressure. And that's a lot. I don't care how good you are. I don't care if you got Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts and all the support the Blue have. They're going to have to handle all of that because it's not just a target on the back. It's a target on the back for six straight months where you play every single day. That's heat. That's weight. Dodgers are going to have to deal with all of that. I am fascinated, too, by what was spent by Shoei to get that number. I mean, we know that he gave Joe Kelly's wife the car. What else? Did it cost him? And there is some precedent to this as well. Think about this, and I want to get your reaction. If you had a number that was so coveted that you wanted it, well, what would you do? How much would you how much would you ask for in return? Because we have seen in the past some guys ask for pretty big sums. Roger Clemens had to buy a bunch of Rolexes. He gave one to Carlos Delgado back in the Toronto days. Gerald McCoy quarter of a million dollars in 2019 when he went to Carolina after three Pro Bowl years with the Bucks. Wife says, hey, that's your legacy. I asked my man Jack Savage, all right, Jack, if you had a jersey number that was coveted by a teammate, I know you're a football guy, what do you want? What do you want in return for your number? That's a great question. And I think it kind of depends on, you know, the player that's asking for it. So Shohei, for example, and his deal um, you know, I think I would kind of take him to the cleaners a little bit. Um, I think I would need more than a Porsche if he wants my number. I'm thinking maybe a four-week all-expense-paid trip throughout Europe. Uh, you know, take me through Italy, France, Greece, Spain, Croatia, England, see it all. Um, stay at the nicest villas, resorts, eat the best food, drink the best wine, uh, flying around country to country with a, maybe a PJ, private jet thrown in there. Um, and yeah, I think I would, I would do that. But I mean, I, we could be here all day with a, a laundry list of items, honestly. My man, Jack Savage, living a high life. He, <laughs> yeah. he wants to live the high life for that number right there. By the way, what's, what's, what's that number still even come out to? Does that number still match with the car? If, the, if it's a $150,000 car, are we still even getting to that number? Like, do, do you have a cash number? I mean, Shoei just got paid $700 million. How important is 17 to him? I know it's important to the Dodgers. Right. I know it's important to Japan. I mean, at some point, maybe <laughs> you, you got to be careful. If you drive too hard of a bargain, maybe your contract's getting canceled. <laughs> Did not think of it that way. You, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I better be careful. All right. Well, you're going to, you know, you would, if you were, if you had 17, that is like having a lottery ticket. It's like, it's like that guy that had the, the 14 player parlay score touchdowns for him on Christmas. A $5 bet paid off half of a million dollars. Absolutely insane. All right. Uh, <laughs> I had to talk baseball. We got to talk about Showway. We haven't had a chance to do it, but, but Showway to the Dodgers is, is really big on so many fronts because of everything that comes with them. But it's no guarantee uh, in baseball that it's all going to work. Hey, listen up, clones. Not all beef jerky is the same. Old Trapper's original old-fashioned teriyaki, hot and spicy and peppered, all come in four-ounce bags. 
so that you can sample the different flavors to find out what's best for you. Ask for Old Trapper by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Jason Cole joining us on the other side of this short timeout. I'm Trent Rush in for Jim Rome. This is the Jim Rome Show on CBS Sports Radio. You're listening to the Jim Rome Show. Benching Russell Wilson with two games to go here in the season. A shakeup going on right now in Denver. We're going to get into some of that. Jared Stidham now the new quarterback for the final two weeks. A money play, sure, uh, but maybe some greater undertones that are worth discussing. And uh, we're excited to have a really good guest on to join us. My name is Trent Rush, filling in for Jim Rome here on the Jim Rome Show on CBS Sports Radio. Jason Cole is one of the best football journalists anywhere. Uh, He's one of the selectors, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and he's been covering the NFL uh, for over 30 years. And we have uh, a great mind in Jason Cole with us now here on the show. Jason, uh, happy holidays, happy new year, happy to have you. Um, Can you help me understand this Russell Wilson situation in Denver now that, well, he's being benched the final two games as the Broncos still have a glimmer of hope trying to get to the postseason? Uh, I think it's pretty obvious that Russell Wilson's on the way out uh, and that Sean Payton wants to get his own guy. And um, I mean, I, I don't know that there's much else to say about this. Russell's been there for two years, has not played well, um, got paid. You know, good for him that he got paid, but the arc of his career has degenerated. And this is sort of a... I think that quarterbacks need to look at this and go, be careful what you ask for. Um, be careful that you ask out of an organization like Seattle where they know what how to play you. And be careful to ask for a coach who you think is the savior and the solution and that you've always wanted to play for, but you really don't know him very well and you don't know what he's asking for. And Russell Wilson not only wanted out of Seattle first, but then wanted to have Sean Payton because he thought Sean Payton would turn him into Drew Brees. Except that he's not Drew Brees. (laughs) Like, he's a different kind of quarterback. And it all goes back to the point, you should have just made it try and work in Seattle. Uh, And you should have just realized what was working for you there and how they knew how to use you there. And now that it hasn't, um, no, he's out. It, 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 I just, I feel like that the situation is, is interesting uh, in, in Denver for all the the points you just made, Jason. And I'm glad you were there uh, to make them. How about the MVP race in the NFL? We saw, I mean, the big game on Monday night, Christmas night. You have uh, the Ravens going into San Francisco. Lamar Jackson performs well. Brock Purdy. A lot of people considered him a candidate. It. He wasn't good at all, and they, you know, Christian McCaffrey wasn't able to be Christian McCaffrey in a lot of ways because of that. I'm sure there are others that are in the mix as well, but where do you stand as far as the MVP race is concerned? It's not a great year for offensive players, and I've been engaged in a two-day-long argument with Bills Mafia about Josh Allen. And 
I hear, you know, the 40 touchdowns, the 40 touchdowns, the 40 touchdowns, and I just look at the turnovers, you know, particularly the bad interceptions early in the year that contributed to losses, right? And I just go, I can't do that, even though he's statistically been great. And he is a great player. But it's not statistically dominant enough, and the winning is not going along with it for me to say that's MVP. Lamar Jackson doesn't have the classic stats. He doesn't even have the kind of stats that he had during his MVP year, but it's not what they ask him to do. So, you know, I'm kind of stuck here. McCaffrey, I liked a lot. Purdy, you know, there are certain things I like about Purdy. I mean, I love him as a player and a lot of things he does, but I don't think he's the main catalyst of that offense. In fact, I think in some ways Trent Williams is the most important guy on that offense, even though he doesn't really touch the ball, right? Or doesn't touch the ball, literally. So this is a chaotic year for it all. It's the kind of year where you could see a defensive player sneak in there if one of the defensive players was on a great winning team, like a Miles Garrett. I like Kyle Hamilton a little bit, but I don't think they're in the discussion either. So this is a real crapshoot kind of a year where I could see a lot of divided votes. But if you put a gun to my head with two games left, I'm saying Lamar Jackson. You know, the quarterback of the team that right now is probably the best team in the league and the most consistent team in the league that just went into San Francisco and undressed the 49ers. Like, they they hammered him in that game. Um, I think it's an outlier kind of game, but they still won it. And they still, and Lamar Jackson made a ton of plays to make sure that the San Francisco defense did not get on any kind of roll. I mean, they put up 30 points against a healthy San Francisco defense. And in many ways, maybe the most impressive win we've seen any team have in the NFL this season. I'm so I'm glad you brought up Kyle Hamilton because this is a player for me, uh, following his career in, in college and now what he's meant in the NFL. I mean, it does kind of feel like in some ways, Jason, that if a defensive player were to ever be an MVP, it kind of feels like you would need a year like this. Do you feel like there's ever going to be a year where a player on defense can truly be the most valuable player in the league? Are they going to get that honor at any point? Well, I mean, it's only happened once, and that was with LT. Um, So, you know, you're talking about the outlier of outliers, right? Um, so I don't, I don't see it. The game is just too tilted towards offense, and that's the way the league wants it to be. But there are occasionally years, and this is one of them, where because the offensive guys are not so incredibly dominant in them themselves, or they have the, the ones who are dominant, again, like a Josh Allen, have too many interceptions, right? Um, we're going to, you know, we've lost a lot of great quarterbacks over the last five years to retirement, um, whether that's Brady or Peyton or Roethlisberger or a bunch of guys around the league now, Breeze as well. So the quarterback field is not as deep as it once was. Um, so you, you think that, yeah, you, this might be the time where a guy sneaks in, and it might be a time that they sneak in before guys start like strides start to mature or the chiefs fix their wide receiver problem so that Mahomes is not stuck with, you know, one competent receiver in Kelsey and a bunch of guys on the outside who just don't even know how to run routes. I mean, it's, it's terrible to watch them struggle to get open in games. Not, not just the drops that they have, but he just doesn't have guys who, who understand 
you know, again, how to get open. Is there a level of concern, though, with the – I mean, you talk about the drops and, and the supporting cast around Mahomes has not been at the same level this year. Does any part of you think maybe, okay, well, as long as Kansas City gets into the playoffs, they're going to be all right? Or what we're seeing now, things that maybe are, are, are legitimate worries about this team's chances to win another Super Bowl? Well, it's not so much I win another Super Bowl because you start with Mahomes and the team's going to be well coached on the offensive line. Kelsey's getting up in years, so you're going to have to replace him at some point here in the next two, three years at, at, at best, right? Um, but the primary concern is you've got to find wide receivers. And you just have to find guys who can play. And, yes, they faked it for one year and won a Super Bowl without Tyreek Hill. You know, they trade Tyreek Hill, they come back, um, and everybody's like, oh, well, we won it without him. Yeah, but you had Juju Smith-Schuster, who was a competent wide receiver. Not a great one, but a competent one who, again, knew how to run routes and complement in concert with the other guys in that offense and knew where to be and knew how to get open on a consistent basis and became a, you know, what was it, 80-catch guy, 90-catch guy, and, and would get the requisite yards. Well, you don't even have that next to Kelsey at this point. You don't have any one of those guys, whether it's, you know, Velda Scantling, whether it's Tony, whether it's you know, Sky Moore, Rashi Rice, you know, he, he's had a nice year. Okay, I'll, I'll give him that as a rookie. But he's the receiver screens guy who acts more like a running back, takes a little takes a little hitch and, you know, gets another five to seven yards out of it. And that's a nice little play, but that's not getting upfield and creating space for the other guys. In particular, it's not creating space for Kelsey. So they're missing just having competent wide receivers. And I don't think it's hard to go out and get competent guys. We're not talking about they have to make a trade up to go get, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. Or they have to go sign some, you know, some pro bowler from somebody. You just have to have guys, again, like a Juju Smith-Schuster who get out there, create space, catch balls that are thrown to them, get the requisite yards. If you do that, then the offense functions very well. And then you'll deal with whether how you have to replace Kelsey at some point in time. We're talking with Jason Cole right now, one of the best football journalists you're going to find anywhere. And uh, we're happy to have him here uh, on this Wednesday in between Christmas and New Year's. I'm looking ahead, Jason, at the slate this week, a game that jumps out, Lions at Cowboys, Saturday night. I'm curious, kind of to know your thought here on maybe who needs this game more. You, you have the Lions, who I think have done enough to legitimize themselves as being uh, the, you know, the team. The record is their record. The Cowboys, okay, their, their record at home has been good. On the road, a different story. Um, do you think about this matchup here, possible playoff matchup? Who do you feel like uh, has more to gain here in, in this matchup with the Lions and the Cowboys on Saturday? Well, it's always about the Cowboys and their state of mind. And what kind of team they think they are, you know, because the presumption by Cowboys fans and by Jerry Jones is that they're going to win a Super Bowl. Right. We start off every year, you know, with the message coming out of Dallas, we're going to win a Super Bowl. This is going to be our year. And for 30 something years, we've heard that nodded our heads and kind of chuckled, uh, you know, at it. But, you know, that's where they stand, and we either love them or hate them based on, you know, which side of this line 
you are with the Cowboys, and you can't, you have to be on one side or the other. You cannot be uh, in the middle of the Cowboys, right? You have to either love them or you have to hate them. It's just the way that it works in the NFL. So you start off with that. And so this week, again, is are they going to flop like they flop so many times? You know, they, they get themselves into first place. They get a big win over Philly. Everybody's talking about, okay, you know, this is the year. And, you know, Jerry Jones gives that big giant smile and he's ready to print Super Bowl tickets and rent suites at the win in Las Vegas and all these other things that go along with the, the Super Bowl. And it's like, you know, guys, maybe you should win a few more games. Like, maybe you need to take care of business against Buffalo, make, take care of business against <laughs> Miami, make, take care of business over here. And, yeah, you got to take care of business against Detroit. Now, they're at home, so Dallas is overwhelmingly probably going to win this game. And Detroit, yes, it'd be nice shot in the arm for them to win this game. But, but Detroit has done enough already this season to say we're moving in the right, we continue to move in the right direction. If we continue to draft well the way that we did this year with Gibbs playing well, Laporta playing well, a couple of the other guys that they drafted playing well. If we get a couple of more defensive guys and continue on our path, we're going to be a, a serious contender next year. We're a decent contender this year. To me, Detroit's already there. Dallas is teetering because they're always teetering. He's Jason Cole. Great insight on the NFL, as always. We appreciate you spending some time with us here today. Thank you, Jason. Anytime. Be good. Thanks. All right, there he is, Jason Cole. Again, one of the the best football journalists out there, and I I don't use the journalist word lightly. As uh, He's just an outstanding reporter, and uh, I thought uh, had some pretty good opinions on the NFL. Let me know some of yours. You can find me at Trent Rush Sports. My name is Trent Rush, sitting in for Jim Rome today. You can hit up Jim. At Jim Rome, tweet the show. Also, give us a phone call, 800-636-8686. It is time now for a CBS Sports Update with Pete McCarthy. Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show with guest hosts Trent Rush on CBS Sports Radio. I'm reading a tweet during the break from Shans. Nuggets forward Aaron Gordon suffered lacerations to his face and hand, resulting from a dog bite on Christmas Day. Team says he's in good condition, will remain away from the team while he recovers. Face and shooting hand Monday, 21 stitches, sources say. What does is, what is Aaron Gordon do? What kind of dog is Aaron Gordon with on Christmas Day? Yeah, that's, yeah stay away from that. I don't know what in the world is going on there, but, man, he, he gets dog bites to the point of needing 21 stitches. I mean, I laugh because it's like, how does this happen? I mean, that's a serious injury. Like, you don't want to mess around. I am also like thinking about my Labradors. I, I got two. I got two labs at home that I knew. I mean, if they, they don't think that they could make a squirrel have twenty-one stitches. Uh, how did how did Aaron Gordon get in that kind of situation? 
My goodness. My name is Trent Rush, sitting in for Jim Rome today uh, here on CBS Sports Radio. Happy to be with you. Brian Weber is going to be in the next two days, but uh, yesterday and today has been fun uh, spending some time, especially with you, the clones. Of course, you can find me at Trent Rush Sports. Hit up the show at Jim Rome. Give us a phone call, 800-636-8686. We'll go to the phones now. Let's go to David in Buffalo joining us here. What's up, David? Hey, Trent, I appreciate taking my call today, man. How you doing? Doing well. Thanks for making it. Yeah, you got it, man. A couple points here on the NFL. Uh, First on Russell Wilson, then on, you know, uh, the Buffalo Bills, and I think their chance all the way this year. Um, I think starting off with Russell Wilson, I think to me this, uh, it was destined to fail with him and Sean Payton. You know, it, it, it just was, you know, not the right mix. And I think the biggest thing was, you know, Russell Wilson wanted to play like Drew Brees. And I think Russell Wilson's a guy who's better outside the pocket, moving away, you know, from the line of scrimmage, you know, making plays on the run. And Sean Payton's offense is more of a drop-back quarterback. And if you can have a guy move around here and there, but he he more wants a guy like, you know, it, it just didn't fit where he wants a guy that can really swing it from the pocket like Breeze did. And I think that wasn't the right match there in Denver. And I, could, I think Washington would be a great fit for Russell Wilson. He's from that area. And I think, you know, just his mindset of that team, you know, they need, you know, a good face of the franchise where they've been. And then as far as the Bills go, man, and I don't know what your thoughts are, but, I mean, as great as Josh Allen is, any quarterback who's ever won a Super Bowl needs a good running game. And I feel like for us to win it all this year, I think James Cook has got to play huge in the playoffs. I think they've got to run the football a lot more. And I think they've got to be able to have that dimension of that short passing game like Brady and the Patriots had in the playoffs where you can get, you know, a first down on a third and four and get six yards and keep the chains moving. Because I feel like even though the Bills won last week, it was too much on Josh, too much about the big plays, man. Thanks for the time, buddy, and uh, have a happy new year, and I'm out. David and Buffalo, I think I'm with him on the, the Josh Allen stuff especially. I mean, you don't have to be a hero all the time, and that's where you get into the trouble with the turnovers, right? That's where Josh Allen gets into those turnover issues. It's playing hero football. And you look at what the Bills have done, all of a sudden they're 9-6 and six and on the, the brink of clinching here. And they have won five of the last six games. The, the loss in there being on the road in Philadelphia in overtime. I mean, outside of that, uh, you're seeing excuse me, four of five. Four of five and the one loss in overtime against the Eagles. I mean, on the road. I mean, we're, we're seeing Buffalo play good football here, right? and it's been enjoyable uh, to watch that for uh, – look, I, I don't think that Josh Allen is going to be in the MVP mix. Maybe he does get some votes. He's not the MVP to me. I mean, if Buffalo um, had 11 wins right now, maybe it's a little different story. But from what I have seen at this point, I, I just don't think that we've seen enough winning in Buffalo yet. Uh, to, to make Josh Allen the MVP this year, even in a chaotic season. But you got to have all dimensions. Like, if there's a standard to be held to, I guess right now the Ravens are the standard, certainly in the AFC. In the NFC, I think it's the Niners. And, and to me, the Niners are a, a very complete team. And, you know, we're, we're seeing Baltimore sure looks like a very complete team. That defense is insane. And Kyle Hamilton in the backfield, or in the secondary rather, has been just so good for them. That whole Ravens defense is tough. And you got Lamar Jackson, who I think is playing at an MVP 
level right now in in a crowded race. I, there's no clear cut this year. I and mean, who was it? Sam Monson we had on earlier described it as chaotic. I thought that was a a, a good way to describe uh, the MVP race going on in the NFL. By the way, uh, college football going on this week, and I feel like we've we've done a good job getting through you know some of the bad games, some of the really awful games that are out there. There's actually a few non-New Year's Six games I'm actually pretty excited about. And, you know, I, I just, you know, we've gotten through what I, I describe as like the comedy part of the bowl season, like the comedy of the avocados from Mexico Cure Bowl is one of the bowl games this year. We've had the famous toastery bowl. I don't know what a toastery is, but we've also had the famous Idaho potato bowl. Um, I guess I'm ready for some avocado toast and potatoes this morning. Maybe that's what we're thinking here with some of these bowl names. I mean, these these names, these are the brutal bowls, right? The brutal bowls because they sound a lot more like minor league baseball mascots than anything else. And I mean, some of these games. But you get through them and all of a sudden you have some games that actually have some tradition that are good matchups. USC Louisville is fascinating to me tonight. USC really shorthanded. No Caleb Williams. Um, they're missing a, a lot else. And Louisville is down 11 players. Everybody's down in, in these bowl games. Nobody plays in bowl games anymore. Remember how big of a deal it was? What was it? The 16 season in the 2017 playoff that year when you had Christian McCaffrey sitting out, Leonard Fournette that same year. I mean, here we are seven years later. Now everybody's sitting. If you're a pro prospect at all, you're not playing in these bowl games unless you're in the playoff. But I, I still get excited about some of these. Like tomorrow, the Alamo Bowl, that's a really good bowl game. That is a fascinating bowl game on a number of levels. you got number 14, Arizona, against number 12, Oklahoma. Uh, 30th year of that game. And I think that's one of the really be- <laughs> one of the better consolation prizes in college football, I mean, it's a big deal in San Antonio. I mean, they're out there on the Riverwalk. They throw a parade. I mean, these bowl games, I think people forget how big of a deal these are in towns. Like, to San Antonio, the Alamo Bowl is huge. The Sun Bowl, huge in El Paso. That's a good game. That's on Friday. Notre Dame, 15th-ranked team in the country against number 21, Oregon State. But, man, I'm looking at this Alamo Bowl. And I, I think this is like the Arizona Ascent validation game. I mean, for Jed Fish to go from 1-11 two years ago to 9-3 this year, the fact that the Arizona Wildcats have a chance to get to 10 wins this season, I mean, if they win this game, if they beat Oklahoma, who will be in the SEC next year, they will have a 10-win season, came out of nowhere in the Pac-12, will be in the Big 12 and are going to maybe be a top 10 team in the country, especially because they're bringing back their quarterback, Noah Fafita. I have no idea how they kept Fafita. Like, if you're USC, you just saw Caleb Williams walk out the door and they were supposed to be bringing in more there. You were supposed to be having your heir apparent set up. Malachi Nelson, who's the top quarterback recruit in the country, just takes off, leaves, transfer portal, see you later. Like, how did they not go get Noah Fafita? Well, he's staying in Arizona. And Arizona very well could be, if they win that, if they win that game coming up 
on uh, Thursday, they win that game tomorrow, they have a real chance to be a preseason top 10 team next year. Arizona football, that's amazing. Again, the Sun Bowl. They've been playing this game since 1935. It's a big part of the El Paso culture. Second oldest bowl game, only behind the Rose Bowl. They got a good matchup there in, in Notre Dame and Oregon State. That's on Friday. So there are some of these games, like you have the Dukes Mayo Bowl today, North Carolina, West Virginia. They're both 8-4. and four. Uh, You have the Texas Bowl later tonight. I guess that's a big game. Uh, for Oklahoma State, Cowboys were just in the Big 12 title game. It's like the their rivalry renewed. Um, yeah, I think it, I guess it's a big game for both. It's, it feels like every game for Texas A&M is, is a big game for them because they think that they should be national championship contenders. It would be an embarrassing loss for Texas A&M and at least their fans if they were to drop this one. But Oklahoma State's ranked. They win. They could become a 10-win team. Um, and maybe this is like their last stand as rivals before their other rival, Oklahoma, goes – to the SEC, joining Texas A&M. This could be pretty validating for Oklahoma State. So there are a few. Like the New Year's Six gets all the headlines, but we're past the really bad bowl games here. All right, you can find me at Trent Rush Sports on Twitter, 800-636-8686, talking about Aaron Gordon uh, getting bit by a dog and now needing 21 stitches. How did this happen? There are a lot more questions than answers on this front. Ralph? Says, Dear Aaron, I told you if you get another chew toy for Christmas, I was going to chew on you. Sincerely, the dog. It's Ralph hitting us up at Trent Rush Sports. Yeah, where are the clones at? 800-636-8686. That's, uh, man. I mean, how do you explain that one? How do you explain that one to your general manager, to your coach? Hey, uh, I can't come into work today. I'm going to have to miss practice because my hand just became a chew toy. I had to get 21 stitches in the hospital last night, so I'm not able to get to work today because my dog got a little frisky nibbling on my hand. Boy, that's a tough one to try to explain there. My goodness gracious. All right, we're having some fun uh, here on the Wednesday between Christmas and New Year's. My name is Trent Rush filling in for Jim Rome today. We're going to take... Short break. When we come back, hour number three here on this Wednesday, we'll get more into the college football playoff, the bowl season, and what it means. Why are all these guys sitting in? I have a solution. Don't want to miss it. I'll have that for you when we come back. This is the Jim Rome Show on CBS Sports Radio.